0: Amen. All right, well, we are in a series that we're starting the year off with a powerful idea spoken by Jesus Christ that comes in the form of an invitation. And it's in this verse here in Matthew chapter 28. It's Jesus standing, speaking into a crowd that says, Come to me. All who are wearied or are laboring. Who are burdened, who are worn out by life, and I will give you rest. Right, so my Shakespearean question there in your outline is, to come or not to come? That is the question, right? That's a Shakespeare line, close to it anyway, I twisted it. But that is a question, right? And that's a legit question. From wherever it is you and I are living our life right now, to come or not to come? And as I said last week, I love the appeal that Jesus gets real with us and, and he interacts with what our life feels like. He doesn't just stand, ignore your life and my life and say, come to me. He specifically stares into the realities of our lives and he uses words to describe it. You who are weary, you who have been laboring, you who are under the burdens of life, you come to me, right? Jesus is not ignoring the condition of our lives, and so this invitation comes to life the moment those words come to life in me. as a matter of fact, if they don 't come to life in me then i 'm probably ready for another passage, another offer, or something else to talk about. I need to see my need. For this invitation, John Calvin, the great reformer, says Jesus now kindly invites to himself those whom he acknowledges to be fit for becoming his disciples. Not be fit because they're good enough, but fit because they have ears to hear what he's saying. Though he is ready to reveal the Father to all, yet the greater part are careless about coming to him. Because they are not affected by a conviction of their necessities. He turns to the wretched and afflicted. He tells us that the reason why most men despise his grace is that they are not sensible of their poverty. In other words, thanks for the invite, but I don't really need that. Right, the Son of God holds out his hands as an, as an invitation. He did it then, he does it now. And he says, come to me. But very much whether or not anybody's going to get up out of their chair and make a move is determined by, do you think you need to do that? That's right, so a real question for you this morning. Do you need God in your life? Really, do you? Right? I mean, you you got stuff going on. you got a world you want to live in. you got things that you long for. you got ambitions that you're seeking after. And you're spending energy and spending money and spending time, and taking risks relationally, you're doing all kinds of stuff for things that you want. And then There's a whole world that you're trying to avoid. There's things you're afraid of. You're staying away from them. You don't want to be in that setting. Don't want that vulnerable thing to happen to you. Do you need God to do the life that you're doing? To live the in a future or or no? I think one of the things that you find about the way God invites us is, is there's an inherent awareness of a need to respond. God presents an invitation to a situation that feels and is informed by the fact that, hey, you need what I'm saying to you. Isaiah Spoke of an invitation in his day. Remember, Isaiah is 750 years before Christ. So this invitation doesn't originate just with Jesus coming and saying, hey, come to me. God has been inviting people to come. This is what Isaiah said very similar sound. In Isaiah 55, he says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. That invitation is just like what Jesus gave, right? There's a soul dimension to our lives that needs something that we are invited to come and get. But listen to the appeal. It's to the thirsty. It's to the people who don't have any money in their pockets. The ones who can't do for themselves. It's an invitation from God that requires the one being invited to recognize what you're offering. I can't do it for myself. And this is what's interesting. That little phrase, I'm going to resist preaching this phrase. But come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. You ever meditate on what that must mean? That God is offering something to you that there is nothing you could do to earn something, to accumulate something, to put, load up your pockets in order to achieve it or buy it. There's nothing you can do. It's You can come buy it without any achievement of your own because it's without price. And what price do you put on the thing that God offers through Christ? It is without price. There has never been a price tag made available to man that, hey, Oh, you want this? You shopping in the window of heaven? Oh, you want that? Well, let me pull up. Oh, look at the price on that. Oh, save up, save up people. There's something Christ offers you that has no price tag attached to it for any human being. Because it was never meant to be prayed for by us. That's what's being offered in this. But here's an interesting thing that Derek Thomas talks about in his book, Strength for the Weary. He says, to whom are these invitations made? He says, two kinds of people are in view. First, the offers made to those who are thirsty and hungry, the destitute. Those who have come to the end of themselves. The second offer is made to a different category of people. If the first people had no money, the second is spending it as though it were going out of fashion. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your life? Why do you spend your energy? Why are you spending yourself on things that are never going to fulfill you? Thomas calls that the disappointment of success. You guys know what that's about, the disappointment of success. How many of you guys have ever chased a goal, chased a goal, chased a goal, and had the worst thing that could possibly happen to you? You actually achieved your goal. M- many people don't realize that when you don't actually have the goal, there's this little hidden belief that if I, if I just had that, then I'd be fixed. If I just had that, then I'd have hope. If I just had that, then I'd be okay. You know, as long as it's out of reach, you can keep feeling that way. But the second you put your hands on that thing and you actually possess it, you're going to realize something startling. You now have it. And you're still not okay. It's one of the worst things that happens to people. I mean, it just, it just drains out of you this sense of hope. And you actually have what you were after now. Okay. You wanted to be married all your life? You're married. How are you doing? <laughs> right? You wanted to be able to put X amount of dollars in the bank account. Okay, you did. You fixed. You good? You wanted to own that house and live in that neighborhood. All right, you do. You done? Right? I mean, just almost the worst thing that can happen is you actually, you're successful. Most of us are in denial, he says, about the levels of our satisfaction with life. When asked, how are you? We instinctively plan, "Oh, fine, I'm Okay. Who, after all, wants to hear an honest answer to this question? Well, actually, you have a few hours while I tell you how depressing and disappointing my life is just now? <laughs> For some of us, there is a nagging sense that something is missing, even if we can't quite put our finger on what it is. All right. This is what Jesus does. He puts his finger on how life feels, and then he turns around and says, all right, I, I can fix this. I can give you rest. I can give to you what your soul is after that feels this way rather than feeling like it's at peace, right? All right, so question, uh, what, what have we been coming to to fix us, All right? So I think most of us would admit, hey, okay, I get it, uncle, my life does feel like it's a burden. It's a lot of work without a lot of reward. I'm wearied by the, just, just keep doing more and more and more of this stuff, uh, all right, we get that. So we come to something in that moment. So what, do you, what are you coming to in the hope of fixing that? Right, new year, maybe you, maybe you got a new app with some new exercise stuff in it. You're going to come to that. Or maybe something that's going to organize your life. You're finally going to get organized. You went to Home Depot, you bought a bunch of boxes, you cleaned your garage out. You're just on the path, an organized life. Yes, I feel good uh, already, right? What, what are you coming to? Maybe you come to more significant relationships, you know, you just, you finally get around the right person, you get that special relationship, that person who makes you feel a certain way, you come to that. Or, or maybe just you fill your life with distractions, All right? Maybe, uh, maybe you're an Xbox addict. You know, you just live your life. Quite a bit of your life is, oh, I want to stop staring at my unhappy life and just stare at an Xbox game. Or you can't wait to plan your next Disney vacation. So you just get the heck away from the life that doesn't feel right and isn't working anyway. So let me, let me just get away from that thing and go over here. But we, we go to something right. At some point, life feels exactly the way Jesus said it was going to feel. And we come to something. Is Is that something that we're is that working for you? If it's something we found besides Jesus, is it working? But if we're going to come to Jesus, that's this is a big deal, right? Can he make good on his promise? We might want to do a little background check here. Might want to ask Jesus for a resume. Can he really do? He stands in front of all of humanity and makes this invitation. He stands in front of old people who are at the very end of life saying, Hey, I don't have too many days left here, Keith. You better speed this up a little bit. He stands in front of those people. He stands in front of young people who are naive and stare into the future as though they can have everything and do everything. He speaks to the healthy who've got everything going for them physically. They're doing well. Every mental processes are working well. And he speaks to the diseased and the sick. He, He speaks to the rich and he speaks to the poor. He speaks to every last one of them, and he says, come to me. Well, can all those people really come to one place, to one person, and he really can fix everybody? That's a big statement, isn't it? All right, well, this one, I want to read Jesus' resume to us a little bit. I, I want us to look at who is this who makes this massive claim about being able to have that kind of an impact on our lives. So now I'm going to do this. I'm going to part of this will be how to read your Bible. A lesson on how to read your Bible, right? Um, if you're new to reading the Bible, and I thank God that there are folks among us who are new to reading the Bible, um, you know, let's just say this is not a magic eight ball, right? You ever seen those magic eight balls? You know, you just kind of think about your life, what's going on. Uh, am I going to get that job or not? And you just wait, and this little thing floats up. And it says something, and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, all right, uh, how about, does she like me or does she not? Do we have a future? And this little thing floats up. Listen, you, know, you can do that too. It's like your own life is so big, and it's so weighty, and it's so captured your attention. You're like, okay, all I'm about is uh, the next month for me, the next month. So uh, let's see, what does God say about the next month? And 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 we go to the Bible, that's that's not how this book is written, right? So we're reading from Matthew chapter 11, that verse shows up at a particular location. So if you want to understand what the Bible's saying, you know, and you're you're staring into a verse, you've just kind of been airdropped into that location and you're kind of reading it now. All right, you got to do this. You got to back away from that verse a little bit. You got to read what's around it. And then you may have to back away even further to kind of get some of the nuance and the power in that verse. You may have to back away further into the book in which it's written, right? So Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking, and he's recorded in the book of Matthew, which is a gospel book. And the gospel books, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all written out of the same style. They're biographical, but they're biographical for a reason. So they're not just... uh, Random events from Jesus' life. They're not even necessarily trying to be chronological events. They're handpicked trying to create an argument, right? John goes as far as to say, these things have been written down so that you may believe that they're after awakening the faith of our lives to believe Jesus and who he is. So, so that's what we're, we're at, right? So we're going to do two things here. We're going to stare right at the verses right around Matthew 11, and then we're going to back up a little bit into a bigger swath of Matthew and see what he's saying on our way here. So here, here's the, the bigger section, right? Matthew 28 is where G eleven twenty eight says, come to me. But before he says that, Jesus says this right before that. He says, at that time, Matthew 11, verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. From the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. We're going to back up really far into Matthew so you understand that statement in just a second. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Look at verse 27 here. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except. Except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor. Right? So Jesus says something that gives away a little bit. Come to me because there ain't nobody else like me. Come to me. That's why, that's why all of humanity comes to me. Right? So just in the, two things I just want to pull out. There's more things than this about Jesus. In the Bible but just want to two things that are in this passage. One, All things have been handed over to him. Right, so why do I come to Jesus? Well, because he's got everything. Right. Second, Jesus can reveal God to us when no one else can. That's what that verse says. I might have some vague understanding that there's a God out there, but the kind of revelation that Jesus brings is in another realm of power and specificity and awareness. All right, so, we're going to look at those two things today. Right, first thing, all things have been handed over to Him. So, I just said, you and I are doing life, burdens show up, weariness, labor, we're tired. Where do you and I go in that moment? What are we going to come to in that moment? Well, question here there's one who says, Come to me, I have everything. Is there anybody else that you could go to that can say that? I mean, legitimately. Any person you can go to? Any belief system you can go to? Is there anything at all you can go to that can make the claim of having the the resources, the access, the authority that Jesus Christ has? He is unique. And when you get to Matthew chapter 11... Jesus has been, Matthew has been constructing a resume for Jesus on his way to this statement, right? And that resume begins, go all the way back with me to Matthew chapter four, and we're going to take a sprint through Jesus' resume here. Because back in, back in Matthew chapter four, Jesus' ministry begins at the end of chapter three and the beginning of Matthew chapter four. This is Jesus going public, right? So when he starts going on record and doing observable things, we're getting to know him, Right? And it's going to inform why uniquely come to Jesus, because there's nothing like him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Come on. Problem with having real pages. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came... And said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, most of you know these stories. Even if you've never even read the Bible, you know these kinds of stories. In this moment, Jesus Christ, this particular person who invites us, is going to face the temptation of the devil. right now. Hopefully, if if you've read your Bible, you understand there is a being out there known as the devil. He is a spiritual force. He is the one who set the original dynamite charges that blew everything up. So he shows up in the Garden of Eden doing exactly this. He's doing exactly this in that moment that he did in that garden. He's just tempting the people who belong to God. And in that story, he is going to thrust the whole world into weariness and woe and burden and difficulty. Because they're going to face his temptation and lose. But interestingly, every other human being, by the way, up until this moment, has done exactly the same thing Adam and Eve did. face the temptation of this devil and lost. Until you get to Jesus... And he goes to be tempted in the wilderness. He stands with this being. And this being gives it his best shot. And Jesus is victorious. Jesus overcomes that being. Listen, there's a unique qualification in that you have never met and never will meet another human being who can beat the devil. You say all you want about the devil. You can kick him. You can do whatever it is. Whatever you think you can do. Uh, The devil take you down. And he won't break a sweat. He's never met a human being that he couldn't deceive. Ever. So when you and I decide to go somewhere with our problem. Part of the reason why we're having to go somewhere is because of the devil. Because he has messed with our world in such a way that it turns on us. And it interacts with us in a way that deceives us. Crushes us. Steals from us. And then you and I got to, we got to go somewhere to get some help. Well, in this passage, Jesus shows, hey, I'm the guy who overcomes him. That's where Jesus starts his ministry, by the way. his very first agenda item. Let me go off into the wilderness and beat the guy who beat all of humanity. Let me do that first. Check. And he moves on, right? All right. We got to move quickly through these Matthew passages. Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus comes and makes an announcement. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can you just get your mind around that? Just some dude walks in the building today here and he looks at all of us and he says, every one of you need to stop doing what you're doing. I don't even know what you're doing, but every one of you need to stop it. Because the kingdom is at hand. you'd think this guy's a lunatic, wouldn't you? Jesus Christ stands and does exactly that to humanity. He says, I am the one here to tell you the king is in town. And I'm bringing a new kingdom. And if you want it, you're going to need to turn away from whatever it is that you've turned to in place of me. Right? That's a big statement. right? Who is so audacious to turn to every human being? Every one of us. We're equally all offended here in this moment. And say, whatever you're doing, you're going to need to stop doing it. Whatever you believe in. Whatever way you're going about fixing your own world your own way, you need to stop it right now because the king is here and you need to turn to him. That's the statement Jesus makes. These are big statements, right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a massive understanding, right? This is a massively important understanding if you want to find rest in Jesus. Because if you want to find rest in Jesus, Jesus needs to be Jesus to you. Do you know this Jesus in the Bible has the right, and he assumes he has the right, to walk up to you right in the middle of whatever it is you're doing, the whole world that you've created, the way in which you've made it make sense to you, I'm a fisherman. Look at my boat. All the years, I'm so skilled. I can mend nets. I know where to fish and when to fish. I've got a business going on here. That guy works for me. That guy works for me. I've got a shop in town. All that stuff. I've invested my whole life in all that stuff. Jesus comes right up and says, this is your last day. Come follow me. Can I just warn us? Because we haven't even gotten to the rest of that Matthew 11 passage. When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me so you can find rest. Uh, be careful. Be careful that you don't think that sounds like a Disney vacation. Because this is what yoked to Jesus looks like. It looks like him walking up and saying, "Fishermen, no more. Put your notice in. It's your last day. Now you come follow me. What audaciousness. This Jesus thinks he has the right to walk up to human beings and say, Here's the rest of your life now. This is what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. Yes. It's exactly who he thinks he is. Matthew 4 verse 23. This is just a big gathering. Some realities of his ministry. He says he went through all Galilee. Teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease. And every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him All the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Listen, Jesus didn't do this stuff in a vacuum. Jesus isn't some mythical tale that nobody really saw any of this stuff. The crowds saw. Who this Jesus was. And his resume included touching anything and everything that no human being could stop, diseases that nobody could stop, demonic activity that nobody could stop, and Jesus could stop it. Right, realize there's a reason why Matthew's putting this on display for us. Right? When you turn over to Matthew chapter 5, from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, longest sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, it's famous sermon, many of us have, have heard this, Jesus acts as though he has the authority to interact with human morality. Whatever it is the rules of the road are, whatever human beings have said, hey, this is how you treat each other, this is right and this is wrong, back in that day they had right and wrong, it's old fashioned but kind of an old concept. Jesus stepped into the idea that you have labeled things right and wrong. And he preaches chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And takes on the right to tell people where to draw the boundaries. He preaches and explains that to them. Matthew 5 verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. People have been teaching you what's right and wrong. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. Can, can you chew on that for a second? There's a human being standing in front of you and he's saying, Hey, so you think if you do this, 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 and this, you're going you're to get right with God. You think that'll do it? Can I just tell you that if you do that for the rest of your life and do it excellently like nobody else has ever done it, you still won't have the righteousness to enter the kingdom of God. You won't make it. That's pretty audacious. It's almost a little offensive, isn't it? it? I mean, think about whatever you're doing right now, right? I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And somebody comes along and says, hey, you can do that all you want, buddy, but you won't get to heaven based on that. Unless you come up with some righteousness that's better than that. You ain't getting in. What? Who do you think you are? And then Jesus makes these statements, Matthew 5, verse 21, verse 27. You know, these you've heard it said statements. But I say, right, I'm not going to go through all of them, but Jesus picks up the common thinking of the day. and He says, you know, you've heard it said that, you know, if you commit murder, well, I say if you are angry in your heart, you've committed. Or Well, you know, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in, a, in your heart. You've heard it said, but I say, well, good for you, you say. Who are you? Well, that's the key question, isn't it? Who are you that you could realign our morals and think you have the right to tell us what's right and what's wrong? Now, either Jesus is a kook and he's way out of bounds or he might be who he said he is, right? Remember... Matthew chapter 7, at the end of this long preaching, I, I, I don't know what it was that they encountered, but something bore witness with them in an interesting way. The end of this sermon, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. I don't know how you measure a stranger standing in your midst proclaiming things and say, He is one who has authority. I don't know what it was that God did through him in these teaching moments. But when people listened, their hearts came in contact with this thing called authority. He had authority. He wasn't Joe Blow who decided he figured out how to write a blog. Oh, you've got your opinion and I've got my opinion. But when people listen to Jesus, they didn't come away feeling that way. They came away feeling like, uh, this dude has the right to say what he's saying. He has authority. That word authority is a massive word. It's a massive word. Because when you and I get crushed by life and we get under the burdens of life and we're going to come to somebody, are we going to anybody who has any authority? To do anything about our situation. Jesus claimed to have authority. That's a unique word actually in scripture. It's the the Greek word exousia. And it means more than just authority. It actually means the the power. The authority to exercise the power. So this word has both permission and power all wrapped up in it. Jesus has the right to exercise power in this world. right, so when you go to somebody, you go to an idea, you go to whatever you go to, does that thing have the right and the power to do anything about your broken world? Anything about your need? Because Jesus claimed that. And he's going to say something. Remember the last thing Jesus says with his disciples? Before he says, go into all the world. Right before he says, go into all the world. Do you remember what he says? He says, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. All authority. So when Jesus looks and he says, come to me, come to me, all of you worn out, beaten up by life. He just got finished saying, oh, by the way, the father has given everything over to me. I possess everything. Whatever it is that you're going to need, whatever behind the scenes deal you're going to need to have made, I got it. I'm good for all of that. And that's the resume that Jesus brings. Right? So there's a bunch more here. I'm, I'm not going to take the time to go through all these. Uh, Matthew 8 opens with Jesus healing a leper. Later on in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples. And a storm hits, right? And they are freaking out. These are fishermen, by the way. So can you imagine what kind of storm we're talking about? These are not like some of us. You know, like, oh, my first time on a boat. Oh, wind. Uh, these guys are fishermen. I mean, they have been in the water. Their boats have flipped over. They, they have lived. This must have been quite a storm that gets their attention. They're thinking, we're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. And he wakes up. What are you guys freaking out about? And it's just like with words, he just reaches up for some little light switch and goes click, click. And all of a sudden the, the rain stops coming and the last drop goes blunk and the, the sea just kind of settles. And all the wind stops blowing. Can you imagine in that moment? Do you remember how this ends? And it's the perfect question. It's the perfect question for every one of us to ask. Who is this guy? That's what they ask. They're laying in the boat there, you know, done freaking out now. And Jesus just kind of goes click, click. The right question is, how did he do that? Who are you? Well, he did say, everything has been handed over to me. Did you mean everything? Uh, I meant everything. Like the weather? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and whether or not that water right there stays water or whether it becomes wine? Yeah, yeah, that. Uh, like how to take a small boy's lunchbox and feed thousands with it? Like that kind of stuff? Yeah, like that too. Right, what is Jesus doing here? Because in all these stories leading up through Matthew, you have one feat after another of Jesus interacting with the creation and saying, I got that. I got that. I'm in control of that. Demons. Real demonic powers. I, you know, I know we live in the West and we're Americans and we have technology. You know, We don't believe in all that foolishness anymore. Listen, whether you believe in it or not doesn't mean it doesn't exist. According to the God who created everything, we're not the only spiritual beings on this planet. That's just a fact. And whether you and I get how they operate completely or not, they're here. And the Bible actually describes them as some of the problem that we're having. I mean, I I know situations I've interacted with in the last couple of weeks that, that... if it was just natural situation, it would look like this. But this is so jacked up and off the charts. There's something more than just what's natural going on right here. This person's life is being affected by demons. And Jesus interacted with those people. And nobody was able to do anything about their situation. And Jesus would just come up with a word and speak. And the demons were done. Why, why is Matthew recording all these events? Why make this big deal out of Jesus doing one trick on creation, on spiritual forces, on human beings? Why does he do that? Well, here's why, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities, right? Now, this is the immediate context of what Jesus is saying. He's he's gone out to teach and preach in the cities, Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. This is basically when John the Baptist read Jesus' resume, he said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Based on what happened in Jesus' life from Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist says, Are you the one? The one. Not, not are you one of the ones. Are you on the team? Are you part of the committee? Are you the search party rescue group? Are you the one? The, the unique only one. Are you that one? That we have been waiting for all this time. John the Baptist. Why do you say that? Because nobody else has ever done this stuff. Nobody just speaks to life and problems and situations and physical existence and demonic powers. And they obey him left and right. Nobody does that kind of stuff. Who are you? Are you the one? Now this is a sad reality in this To come or not to come equation. The reason why Jesus is having some of this is he's now going to go out into the cities. With this resume, everybody knows who he is now. John the Baptist knows who he is. People know this guy is powerfully impacting the world. And he shows up city after city after city after city. And when you get to the verses right above the ones that we're studying there's these woes that get pronounced on these cities. Because in spite of the fact that the greatest resume of all time comes into your town and does incredible works, people still didn't believe him. That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? It's kind of self-sobering too, isn't it? That this great invitation can come from God and you and I can be so... Distracted and dull to it that we don't have any idea how desperate we are to take him up on this issue. But we're not alone, right? We're not the first person who that's what life felt like. So listen, it's in that moment where Jesus has recorded all these great things. John the Baptist has figured out, hey wait, I think you're the one. And when he goes to the cities to minister, they don't receive him. It's in that moment we get verse 25 that we read earlier. At that time jesus declared i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children children who feel like their life is too much for them children who feel burdened children who feel like they're in over their heads children who don't have any money to buy children who don't have any power to fix the things that make up their life you have revealed it to them But the woes on the cities, they don't see it. That's why that passage sounds the way it does. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus said in that verse 27. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In other words, there's never going to be and never has been a human being who is smart enough to figure this out unless God steps in and turns the lights on. Don't anybody here be so impressed with yourself? I think you've figured out life and you've figured out God and you can explain it all and, and you're a scientific marvel. You're got a 36 on your ACT and you're a Harvard grad and you're just... Okay, hey, all of us can stand, you know, rightfully so, all of us can stand in a room and say, yep, definitely smarter than me. Hey, I could do that. There's bunches of you. I'd say, hey, definitely smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. You got so much more knowledge than I have. You're so much smarter. But can you understand? The God of the universe is not impressed because he understands. He understands. Your mental faculties, your mental abilities, your own self-will is so broken and so out of step and so darkened that you will never figure out which way is up spiritually. Unless God takes a gracious step and sends his son into our world and says, let me show you what the father is like. And that's what this passage says, right? Here's a passage, and I'm going to do these passages really quickly, but they're very important. In the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John opens up with this statement. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, so most of us here, and I'm not going to try and teach on the Trinity, but you've heard of the Trinity, right? The fact that the God of the Bible is is one yet identified in three ways as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's why this language sounds the way it does. So the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All right, now who's the he here? Well, he's the one who stands and says, hey, your life broken down and hurting you? Come to me. That's the person in this passage right here. Come to me, the one who was in the beginning, the one who is with God, the one who is God, the one who created everything. Listen, I installed all the circuits in the walls. So when you blow a fuse, I know exactly what fuse to change. Nobody else does. I created everything. That demon over there, he was out of control. I know how to turn him on and off. I know where the box is. You're done. You're on. You're off. You know this is the kind of power the Creator has. I created everything. Right? When we have problems in the building, we you know we have to go to a blueprint. We often have to go to the person who built the place. This is the person who built the place. So he stares into our life when it doesn't work. And he says, come to me. (laughs) I built everything. I know how to fix what is broken. Goes on in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. This is John the Baptist. And cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, right? Old Testament. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now this is the profound, listen to this statement. It's the same thing it says in Matthew 11. No one has ever seen God. All right. so if you'd like to know God, can you tell me who you're going to go to? Right, you're a human being, you'd like to know your creator. You're going to go to Muhammad, Buddha? The Bible says no one, no one has ever seen God. Whoever it is you're going to, they're not really qualified to speak on the topic. They've never seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The one who was from the beginning, the one who is God and with God, he has has made him known. See, when Jesus stands and says, come to me, he is uniquely qualified to be the person that humanity would go to. He is from the beginning, he is God. And even in this passage, right, in this immediate, Matthew 11, verse 25 through 28, this passage we're looking at today, you get this idea of, what's this God like? We want to know this God. Well, what is he like? Well, in this passage, we get a revelation. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So Jesus Christ stands and prays a commentary for all of us to learn from. I thank you, Father. Not I thank you, force. Invisible force holding all things together in the Star Wars universe. That's not who he prays to. thank you, Father. This God is like a father. He has dimensions and and expressions that are experienced like a father. I thank you, Father. Not just Father, but Lord of heaven and earth, right? That that word Lord in the the original Bible language, it's kurios. It's the Greek word for the one who's the master, the one who is in control. I thank you, Father, who owns everything. That's who he all right. So you just got a revelation from Jesus on right on who is this God. That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What did you just learn about God? That Jesus just revealed right there. This God isn't in a universe that's just doing its own thing and he's always on his heels responding to it. Oops, oops, oh geez, that's not God. This God that Jesus is revealing has a will, a gracious will that he is working all things according to his gracious will. And I'm not not gonna unpack this, but I just want you to be disturbed by it. He is a God who hides things from you. I'm not making that up, right? That's in the Bible. I thank you, God, that you have hidden some of these things. And that you have revealed them. So he's also God who reveals them as well. Now listen, I may not get why God does that. But I need to get that he does it. This is who Jesus is revealing God to be. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my father. Okay, so I'll learn something else there. The Father, like the Son, he has all things and he can do with it whatever he wills. He can give it to Jesus. He can do whatever he wants with it. He has everything. That's what this God is like. But let me, let me jump to something about Jesus that's unique Jesus' life was unique, his teachings were unique, his miracles were unique. He came among us and he did things that every one of those things reveal God to us. We learn things about God through the life that Jesus lived, the teachings that he gave. But perhaps the greatest thing we learn about God comes from the mission that Jesus was on. Remember you get that little phrase that starts out, the word, and John says... The word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? He's from the beginning. He's God in the beginning. And then he puts on human flesh and he dwells among us. Big question. Why? Why does the God who created everything put on a human outfit and run around among us and do life among us? Why did he do that? Let me tell you the worst conclusion that you're going to come to. And the most misleading one. He was here to teach us. He was here to be an example to us. Okay, he did. Taught us a lot. Taught uniquely. Taught with authority. Yep, that was unique about him. He was an example. Yep, but if you stop there, you are in the absolute worst place you could be in ever understanding Jesus Christ. Because what do you do with teachings? Learn them? What do you do with the examples? Follow them? All right, so Jesus is just this model human being who's teaching everybody, other human being, how to be a human being. Is, is, is that what you think Jesus was? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Jesus, what are you doing here? Well, when we read the rest of Scripture, right, I'm going to highlight some things that you've probably read these in Scripture, but maybe they don't scream at you. John chapter 12, Gospel Lighter. John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus, this is... John chapter 12 is, is just before we get to the last night of Jesus' life. John 13 begins the last evening of Jesus' life on earth with his disciples. In John 12, he says this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. All right, so Jesus has been years now teaching, performing miracles, going town to town, explaining who he is, explaining God's purpose to people. He's he's fulfilled the teaching ministry, and he gets to this moment. And he says, Father, should I, should I ask you to save me from what's about to happen? And this understanding is in this setting. Now, I couldn't possibly ask you to save me from this hour. It was for this purpose that I came. He came for more than just teaching us. This great scene in Matthew 14 is the scene after this where Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he prays the night that he's going to be betrayed, the night before the crucifixion. They went into the place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, quote, listen, if it were possible, the hour, there's that hour, might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup, this cup right here, this cup that I'm about to drink. Jesus has been doing a lot of things for years, but but his whole life has now come to this cup and this hour right now. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came a third time, and he said to his disciples, "Are are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The hour." Right, Jesus comes into this world, and he does a lot of things, but there's none of them are called the hour. It wasn't the hour that he taught in Jerusalem, the hour that he taught in Bethlehem, the hour that he taught here, the hour that he went there, the hour that he raised the dead, the hour that he did a miracle. This is the hour of his life. If you want to understand what Jesus Christ is trying to teach us about God and who he is, you've got to stare into this hour right here. It is the most clear, most amazing, powerful statement in all the Bible about who God is. Acts chapter 10 explains it this way. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. The event has taken place in this hour. And the writer in Acts says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, peace through Jesus Christ. We're going to pick this up when we get to that word rest. Can I I tell you there there is no rest for a person who's not at peace. Peace. Through Jesus Christ. That rest word, it cannot be experienced. It cannot be had unless what this is describing is true of us. Verse 37 You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning with Galilee. That's Matthew chapter 4, right? That's what, that beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are his witnesses. Of all that he did. Both in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem. Right? That's Matthew 4 through Matthew 11. They put him to death. By hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. Listen. This is the hour. That describes the hour. They put him to death what was happening right there well if you read early on in the book of acts it describes that moment when they put him to death it says there were gathered in the city jerusalem herod and pontius pilate the gentiles and the jews and then it says this next to do exactly what your hand had predestined according to your plan to take place why was jesus christ here why, why did this one from the beginning put on flesh so that he could die on a cross and be resurrected on the third day? That's the mission that he was on. He taught a lot, but that's the mission he was on. Here's the rest of that verse. God raised him on the third day and made him to appear Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one. He's the one. John, you're asking the question, is this the one? He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes, come to me and receive forgiveness of your sins. Have you you stopped to think how much of the burden and weariness and labor of your life is because of the weight of your own sin that's sitting on you? Can you take that weight and that burden to anybody? Is, is there anybody else who can do anything about that? You can go to a therapist. They'll listen to you talk about it. Maybe suggest getting around a different set of people. But there's not a therapist out there. There's not a pill you can swallow. There's not a new set of friends or a church you can join that can actually take the sins off of you and put them somewhere else besides on you. No one can do that except this one. Jesus Christ can do that. Eric, you can come back up. All right, remember, we, we started this verse saying that no one can know the Father apart from the revelation that Jesus Christ brings. That's a that's a that's a biblical statement. It's an absolutely true statement, and you and I have lots of concepts. You know, somewhere out there, there's a higher power in this world. We believe something about that higher power. Jesus Christ, not just his teachings and his miracles. His teachings and his miracles are a resume to point us to his qualifications. The mission that he was on was to die in our place. In order to reconcile us to God, to bring peace to us between us and God, can I can I just tell you, Jesus could not have gotten to the end of his life and said, "Okay, so this is it." I think I've taught everybody everything I needed to teach them. I, mean, I didn't always go well. There were some bad responses, but you know, I, I think, I, yeah, I think check, yeah, I think I taught it all. Okay, God, I'm good. You can take me to heaven now, I'm done. Does that sound stupid or what? Now, if you just think Jesus was a great moral teacher who, you know, hey, he came to earth and things went sideways, he got mistreated by the establishment, got took down, but he meant well, and he really did change the whole world with some of these great moral teachings that he brought to the world. If that's your idea of Jesus, you have totally missed the Jesus of the Bible. This hour is the defining moment of why Jesus Christ is here. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't come to do. There is a, this is a reality of our lives. The reason why our lives feel burdened and weighed down is, is because there is this massive wall that separates us from God. Can I tell you what Jesus didn't come to do? He, he didn't come to give lessons on how to climb the wall, He didn't come to teach us to be climbers. Jesus Christ came to tear down the wall so that God could reach into our world and be our God and bring peace to us and bring rest to us. So here's what I wanna conclude this morning with. This God comes, he comes to every one of us. He says it to a crowd, but he speaks to us individually. And he says, come, come from where you are in your burdens and in your life that feels broken. And for some of you, it doesn't feel broken. and I can't get your ear right now. But if you've lived enough life to where your life can feel broken, and by the way, I was 14 years old when life felt broken for me. And I knew there was something not right. And I needed God. This God says, come to me. So question, Do you you need God? Do you need God? And you are you got this? Do you need God for all the reasons that the Bible says you need God? Are you interested in the reasons the Bible says you need God? And maybe you're just trying to graduate college and get a good job and earn a decent paycheck. Oh, I need whatever help I can get in that. Did you know you need your sins forgiven? Did you know that? They don't just evaporate. They don't just go away. The God who gets revealed in the Bible, it doesn't sweep them under the rug. Do you understand if there was a giant heavenly rug that that God could just sweep your sins under, there is no hour. He never has to face the cross. He just needs to help God the Father pick up the broom sweep your issues under the carpet and just kind of say, hey, we're not not even going to bring that up. We're not going to talk about it. The God who gets revealed to us, and by the way, the only way to know this God is through Jesus Christ. That God who gets revealed to us, his son is going to have to die to forgive us of our sins. So do you have any sins in your life? Are you weighed down by them? Are they complicating your life yet? Can you get them off of you? Can you go to anybody who can get them off of you? You can't. But this one, with quite a resume, invites you this morning. Come to me. Everything's been handed over to me. I have the authority to wipe out all of your sins. I have the power and the authority to pick the burdens up off of your life and take them on myself. I have that kind of power. You just need to decide whether you're coming or not. Let's stand up together. Lord, help us right now, Lord. Just using words. God you see our hearts and you communicate to us much more deeply than any words could ever do God there are some here this morning who their life is screaming I need God there's some who hear this invitation to come like Isaiah said, come buy bread and wine without money. Come get something that money can't get for you, that you can't achieve, something priceless. Come get it. Find rest for your soul. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you're here listening to this and, and and your life is screaming at you right now, I need God, I need God. I see that. Well, then make a decision right now. Are you you willing to come to Jesus? Which means come away from whatever it is that's been fixing you, whatever your hope has been in, whatever you think will be best for you, whatever thing you're going to do for yourself to fix you. Walk away from that this morning. And put all your eggs in one basket. Every egg of hope that you ever have, put it in one place in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I'm coming to you this morning with my life to give it to you, to surrender it to you. I've seen your resume. I believe in who you are and I believe in what you did for me. I'm coming to you this morning. That's a huge thing, isn't it? Can you think of a bigger thing than giving away your life? I can't. But if you'd like to do that this morning, then do that right now. Right now. You need to have a conversation with God that sounds like, here's the keys. Here's the ownership deed of my life. Here's every hope and dream. I give it to you this morning. I entrust my life to you, Jesus Christ, the Jesus in Matthew, who invites me to come. I'm coming this morning. I'm coming. Here's my life, Lord. Now here's what God does as your faith reaches to Him. His life floods into your life. His life comes. The life that all of us long for comes, and a peace comes with it. A rest for the soul begins to operate in our lives. We just pray for you that right now. If you're here this morning, that's what you want this morning. I pray for every person who's here today Lord that this is a decisive moment for them whatever they've been coming to whatever they've been hoping in right now Lord they're turning to you that's what they're doing and they're putting their hope in you they're trusting you for the rest of their life that you will care for them you will meet their needs you will make them right with God and you will bring them to be with you in eternity come or not to come. Lord, that's what folks are doing and deciding. They come in. So for everyone who has come this morning in their heart, Lord, would you now lead and be in their life in such a way that they know the difference. They sense your presence. They draw near and experience you as you have meant for them to know you. From this day forward, Lord, I want to pray for some folks this morning. So I'm going to invite some folks to come pray. And then we're going to dismiss after that. The men's retreat will be very helpful in this category. But there's something about living in a world that's broken. And that still touches our lives. That even when you have come to a place where you have trusted Christ earlier in your life you can still find yourself in places that you just feel wearied and you feel burdened so I want to invite folks because Jesus is an inviter right he invites us in these moments when that's what life feels like and he shows up in that space I want you to experience the nearness of God this morning for where you are so I want folks to be able to pray for you. I just want you to be able to find a place where you just connect with God, acknowledge before Him, share with Him your weariness. Right? The Bible says to cast our cares on the Lord. Our cares weigh stuff. And they weigh us down. They slow us up. And... But Jesus invites us, cast your cares on me. So I, I want to invite you to come Come, cast your cares. Come, Literally just come up here, whatever the burdens that you're feeling in your life. Just come... Roll them on to God, and let folks pray for you. Let God draw near to you, so that you sense this God who's inviting you. He wants to take the weight himself. He don't want to teach you how to get over the wall. He wants to do it. So weary and burdened, if those words are like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Just come out from where you are. Just take a moment, meet with God for a few moments. folks come pray for you. You receive something from him. You can be released as the Lord is releasing you from that space. But don't, don't right, to come or not to come. That is the question, right? If you feel burdened and weary, come. Come. Let Jesus meet with you this morning. If you're one of the leaders in our church or small group leader, our prayer team members, if you guys just Are led to pray for any of these folks if you just make your way up as they come up to pray for them trusting their situation to God let Eric close us with a song and then you'll be dismissed unless you're coming to pray for these folks this morning